0: will be with you.
1: Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today I'm going to be going back to the future. And to do that, I've got my own Doc Brown in the shape of Dave Horrocks from Comics in Motion Podcast and VHS Strikes Back. Dave, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you, sir. And uh, like Doc Brown, I certainly am old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I said, during lockdown, mate, we all feel old. We all feel old. Uh, So, yeah, so Comics in Motion and uh, VHS Strikes Back and many others. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg for what you're doing in podcast land nowadays, isn't it? Do you want to give a pop to your network and to your other podcasting endeavours before we start?
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I I think we've consolidated a little bit. What, what, What Chris and I are great at doing is spinning up new projects and then they kind of uh it's like an evolution you know only the strongest survive kind of thing so i'll start with comics in motion so that initially started off with chris and myself and we were doing like tv and movie reviews we did have aspirations of doing games but actually the amount of time we'd have to put into that we just ended up settling on the on the on-screen stuff and Over this last uh, probably six months or so, we've ended up bringing on more and more creators and more and more shows to try and build up the podcast and this this network. So, you know, we're not quite at a daily show. You've probably got something coming out roughly on average about once every couple of days. But honestly, Scott, I couldn't be happier with it because, I mean, Chris and I, you know, we're a one-man band. We're kind of like Wayne's World of the podcast world <laughs> I, I guess that's, that's kind of how I see us but we've got such smart guys I mean a, a guy you know well he's been on the show Mike Burton yeah we did the Star Wars uh crossover event didn't we and and it was so obvious that he knew so much about the comics and was so passionate it was like well Mike do you want to come on and do uh like just a show dedicated on star wars and you know we'll we'll drop that as a weekly show and honestly i have so much fun listening to it because he just it fills in a lot of the gaps. You know the ones, Scott, that should be in the movies but aren't in, explained in the movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're the ones. <laughs> Those <I know>. gaps. <laughs> but then
0: we we also have like Tony Farina, who does like specialises in indie comics. So we have indie comics spotlight there. We have Max Byrne, who who tackles the absolute blockbusters of the comics world. So all the big things that have come out of DC and Marvel. And then one of the newest shows we've had is Superhero for Dummies so we've got the guys there we've got steve paul and dan and they've got varying knowledge uh you know steve's a bit of uh i think he describes himself as the nerd yoda and uh you know a bit of a fountain of knowledge you know paul knows a bit dan knows a bit but then they'll discuss a particular character and then it helps the listener kind of come along and and learn a bit about the history and you know because he it's just a a chat with friends kind of thing so again that's another favorite show of mine and then finally we've just released comics on trial which is you know a kind of mock courtroom drama type thing and that that's going to be all of us scott i hope including yourself we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get you on there of course what am i saying we're we'll recording next week aren't we yeah. um <laughs> so yeah it, it's really exciting you know it's, it's sort of organically built up to this thing and i i don't quite know where uh you know it could lead so really exciting and and I, i don't want to plug too much it doesn't come naturally to me but i'll just say about the vhs strikes back so that's where you know we we look at movies like back to the future and we just go through that kind of one movie at a time and we'll discuss you know what that means to us it started off episode one was back to the future uh it started mm. off we thought we would go through all of the big blockbusters and what is sort of turned into is is we kind of like going through the really bad ones as well <laughs> so yeah. a lot of similar shows you know focus on the big boys but uh we've done stuff like jim carter Uh, Eat My Dust, which is a Roger Corman movie with uh, Ron Howard in it. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) But those those are kind of the most fun. I mean, Samurai Cop, I just honestly had so much fun recording that one. And the last one, I'll say, is our reality TV cast. So Chris and Dave's reality TV cast. And I don't quite know how this is become this monster but uh for some reason i think love island in particular that's our sweet spot uh we we get more listeners through that than probably all the other podcasts put together <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts and more interaction as well it is absolutely bonkers and uh yeah absolutely love it
1: excellent it is you see, you're taking over podcast land right? you really i yeah, did doing the, you're doing the god's work is what you're doing <laughs> doing the good doing good work i will say i mean the, the thing is as well some of the guys you've got working i was gonna say working for you then like some overlord um, you've got <laughs> some guys that you've got now in comics emotion motion network and stuff is is great i mean um you know not just yourself and chris as you say mike uh who i've been on his show he's been on here he's a fantastic guy uh tony farina um uh is now actually writing an essay for the Judge Dread book I'm working on. So you know, me, I met him through you guys, and uh, and obviously the the I'm loving Superhero for Dummies because they're sort of uh, they doing Miracle Man, Captain Britain, some of my sort of again, some of my sort of sweet spot. So it's it is it's fantastic. It's it's a great endeavor, and um, if you are listening to this, you should be listening to that. It's sort of it's a it's a definite. Uh, you know, you if you like this, you'll be definitely liking what they're doing over there. So, can't recommend it enough.
0: How good was the Miracle Man episode and and the Captain oh. Britain episode as well?
1: Yeah, it's stunning. It drove me back to my uh my omnibuses. I was like, oh yeah, I've got to get back and have a look at those. <laughs> and, Love
0: and, it. And what I like is and and you know I include you in that as well, Scott. You you've got this small group of like-minded individuals and and we all respect what each other does and we all kind of get along and and you know honestly i i I consider all of them friends you know uh, Mm. podcast friends i've met people face to face but it's great and you know i've ended up writing for steve's website, so fantastic Mm. universes and and so i i just really like it because you get a lot of these kind of podcast collectives and things and but you this is a much closer knit community so yeah absolutely loving it
1: excellent yeah it's, it's, it's great work right i mean anyway, we're getting to today's thing so today uh we are going to be talking about um what I, what I think is one of the best trilogies um in in sort of the genre sort of, of um you know sort of sci-fi and horror sort of genre stuff uh back to the future back to the Future part one part two and part three so before we get into the sort of the films, I'll ask you, Dave, sort of like, what, you know, what? where did you first get into this thing? Were you sort of able to go see part one, uh, the first film at the cinema, um, or did you catch on on VHS? So how, how did you come across Back to the Future?
0: So rather ashamedly, I, I can't actually remember. It's one of those movies. I mean, I was nine when this came out of the cinema, so it's not like I was four or five or something and, and shouldn't have a memory. I should have a memory of this, but it, it just feels like it's always been there. Mm. The predominant memory is just having it on video and watching it over and over again. And I, I just, you know, it's one of those that you get to the end of it and you quite happily just go back to the beginning again. And I think, um, I'm not sure we had a legit copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the VHS, you yeah. could always do the trick with uh, the old tape over there over the back of it and, and do the copy and like, sorry for chucking you under the bus there, dad. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was one of my favorites for sure.
1: Yeah. Now is, you're right about that. It's one of those, I mean, I have no, I was, I was uh, four in 1985. So <laughs> I, I was didn't go to the cinema, but I, it's one of those films that we, we had uh, a copy of this, that um, I can remember. It took like a red VHS tape uh, that was recorded just one Christmas and then it was just sort of luckily it was on the BBC, so there were no adverts. Um, but it was just one of those films. I just remember, I never had an official take like yourself. It just, I had a cassette of it and I just watched it to death. Um, and then I sort of like I say, so when the rest of the series came out, like um, two and three came out in 89 and 90, like I was there was no way I wasn't going to the cinema to see them. Yeah. Um, but like you say, it's, it's just one of those sort of. Eighties films, I think, that just sort of um, exists. You know, it just sort of it, it sort of arrived and just sort of has become sort of a bit of a um, um, an icon, uh, and luckily has never been re- remade or rebooted, and never should. Um, oh, can you imagine? Oh
0: God, don't tempt well, fate.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. This the thing is, having watched watching it, I, I I can't. Um, there's there's very little I can fault about the first one. I'm pretty sure if Chris was on, he'd rip it to pieces in some way. I I but, think uh, this is this is
0: one of the rarities where <laughs> I think for Chris he, he'll either completely crap all over it or it's untouchable. You know things like yeah. Smokey yeah. smoke and <laughs> the Bandit. You know you can't say anything <laughs> against it. Lethal Weapon. But I think honestly, Back to the Future. In fact, you know I do think I recall Chris saying Back to the Future is his favorite trilogy. And I was saying I'd be hard pushed, but honestly, a bit controversial. I think now, in 2020, if I if I think about all of the trilogies, I mm. think Captain America is probably my favourite trilogy. I mean, what what about yourself as a as a bit of a left field question?
1: No, no, I I agree, and I love of all the MCU sort of, especially that sort of phase one characters. Like the Captain America trilogy is definitely um, my favourite. But what I would say is, for for that is that the the Captain America trilogy. It doesn't stand alone, Like the first one does. Like first Avenger, like does. Yeah, and I yeah, suppose like Winter yeah. Soldier does to an extent. But Civil War, like you need to have knowledge of the wider MCU. Yeah. Um. So you know, it, it's great because I love the MCU. Um. You know, but I think if you had to look at like individual trilogy, and I was really thinking about this. Like if you were to look at look for individual trilogies that stand alone. In you know, and haven't been sullied by a follow up or a re you know, something like that. Like, there's very few that have the cons, I would say, the consistency of quality of Back to the Future. Um, you know, and I'm not gonna say they're all great, they are all well, they're all great, but well, there are definite th- flaws with some of them. Um, but like, you know, uh, Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy or the Godfather trilogy or. Um, yeah, really swinging for the fences here um, <laughs> with some of these. But like, there, there are certain trilogies. You go, yeah, that that's really really good. Um, but then they sort of, you know, they, like, even though like the Godfather trilogy, for example, <clears throat> one and two are like masterpieces, and then three is literally being re-edited and some new footage being inserted to be released in cinemas later this year or next year. So even Coppola's exi- you know acknowledges that it's not great. Yeah. So,
0: a lot of them fall at the third, don't they? I mean, Alien, uh, Terminator, yeah. you know, the first two are brilliant. And then, you know, they just fall off a cliff. I mean, I, I'd, I'd have to say Star Wars as well. I mean, I, I mean, I quite like Return of the Jedi because it's mm. it's the first thing I ever remember going to the cinema to see, but, you know, standing back and... and Really analyzing it, it doesn't really, you know, the tone of it just changes, doesn't it? It's, you've got the whole yes. Ewoks thing and and that, so I, I don't think that ha- can be, you know, put up there. So yeah, I, I think it, it's hard to argue for me, you know, whether there's there's many better than Back to the Future.
1: No, and I know people will crap all over Back to the Future Part Three, and we will get to that shortly. But like, I I love that film. And there's certain things in that film that I think, you know, especially the fact that two and three were made together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, uh, There's some things about that we'll definitely talk about. Uh, But let's jump into the first part, like you know, to Back to the Future Part One, or just Back to the Future, as it was from 1985. And um, just to give the sort of usual stats: uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, and uh, music by Alan Silvestri, one of the the amazing Back to the Future anthem. Yeah. Starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, Thomas F. Wilson. and I'm just throwing Claudia Wells in there as well, just because we'll talk about her change uh, in part two. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story really is weirdly simple um, and odd. 17-year-old um, Marty McFly is friends with... Uh, uh, not young, <laughs> Doc Brown. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we find that Marty McFly is a bit of a slacker. He's a bit of a sort of, uh, uh, he lo- loves his music, but doesn't really love school. Uh, and, you know, he's one of the cool kids, all this kind of stuff, usual sort of 80s American um, blue-eyed boy. Uh, and he's friends with Doc Brown. And Doc Brown calls him to a uh, parking lot of a mall, a Twin Pines Mall, and, um, Uh, uh, at 2 o'clock or it? 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning and unveils his time machine that he has made out of a DeLorean. Uh, After a demonstration, the two are attacked by Libyan terrorists uh, and in escaping, uh, Marty McFly is sent back to 1955. Uh, And whilst back there, he inadvertently interferes with the relationship growing between his parents and has to change it all back to normal or make it better before he disappears from history altogether. So that's sort of the plot. Um, But let's let's sort of start start from the beginning then, really. So this whole relationship between Marty McFly and Doc (laughs) Brown, it plays better in 1985 than it does in 2020, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) It doesn't help he looks a bit like Jimmy Savile, does it? (laughs) No, No, it
1: really doesn't.
0: It's very wrong, isn't it? And of course you've got Rick and Morty, you know, yeah. you play that all up, don't you? I, I mean, I, I, I need to watch more of the Rick and Mortys, but uh, yeah, I think it's one of those where, I obviously as a kid when you're watching it, you don't even think about it, but it is a little bit strange, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I and mean, the thing is, like, even Rick and Morty acknowledge it's weird by, in the cartoon they've now made it that Rick is Morty's granddad, you know, it's his grandfather. So they've yeah. tried to make, they've got that connection. None of that seems to exist in, in, in back to the future. Um, and like you say, he sort of like the film starts with, um, Marty going to doc's place and there's all the clocks and he's playing that sort of like the guitar with that massive amp, like, the massive speaker. Um, See, I think that's,
0: is... sorry to cut across you there, Scott. I think that's the only way I can kind of rationalize it is that, Doc is working on this this experimental massive speaker. Marty's yeah. into his music. I mean, it's a slightly tenuous link, isn't it? But I, I remember thinking about this uh, not so long ago and, and thinking, "Oh, okay, if you're going to hang your hat on anything, it, it's got to be the music."
1: Mm. not to sound like mike as we've already said but in the there is a there is a there comic, is a comic. Is, <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> and i hate to be the one saying it, but there is so i think it's in, idw'd a series and uh, they have their how they met is in that uh and it explains it all and, nice uh, nice um and I, I can't fully remember what it is but uh yeah it, it has been explained and i think music does play a part of it um but, yeah, it is weird. I mean, again, like, even now, I am I don't really think about it a great deal when I'm watching the film. But, you know, there's times you look back on it and you go, yeah, this is, you know, it's it's like, there must be some, the friendship's bizarre because Marty calls him at like, sorry, Doc calls him at like two, I don't know, one, two in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, you come out to a tw- Twin Pines Mall. I've got friends that I've known for 20 plus years and I'd be just like, piss off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in bed <laughs> yeah it's, it's
0: very strange isn't it you know there, there's no way um and yeah what can you say about that it, you've just got to go with it I think yeah there's loads of things in this this movie I mean it, you know he's kind of even when he's walking in and you've got all the clocks and stuff and he seems to be a bit confused about the clocks but he's got a fucking watch on <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it just doesn't all really stack up
1: no that bit i mean like you say it's it sort of it's the um it, it's one of those things you just got to like you know like you say you let slide isn't it you got okay i'm accepting that i'm accepting the relationship and you know at time travel i've got to accept those two things and the rest of the film sort of like i'm fine with yeah um because when you do get to twin pines mall um and and this is one of the things that i love about this film is uh the, the fact that like rob zemeckis and bob gale clearly went through this with like a fine tooth comb um because like, you know that everything has a bit of a payoff, yeah. You know, like, so we know that like it's called um, uh, Twin Pines Mall, and Marty, like when he travels back to the, back to the past, like he runs over a bunch of pines, um, you know, because that's where the, the farm was. And it, when he comes back, it's called Lone Pines Mall. So it's like just little <laughs> things like that. So good in this film, um, but he does go, and you obviously meet Doc, uh, and you find out that he's turned. A DeLorean what? into a, into a time travel machine, and let's be honest, it's one of the most iconic looking vehicles. What are yeah. your thoughts on the on the on the, the time travel machine?
0: I absolutely genius move because weren't they? I'm sure they were initially talking about it being a fridge freezer or something like that. You know that that they had to go into, and they ended it, up with the DeLorean. It, it, um, what what I can't unsee now is the fact that when Marty turns up. Doc is mm. back in the DeLorean, out of the truck. Yeah. You can't actually open the doors. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're <'cause... laughs>
1: right. How did he... I've always wondered that. I, I was the same, because you see, it's sort of like, how did, how did he get in?
0: Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, what he must have done, because when Marty turns up, he acts all surprised, doesn't he? But I, mm. I reckon he's seen him come in, and he's like, oh, I'm going to drive into the truck. <laughs> and I'm just going to wait for him, and it's going to look so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then I'm going to act all surprised. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, I, di- I didn't even see you there. Did you see yeah. me coming out of the truck There, How cool was yeah. that?
1: <laughs> One thing I must say, you've actually just touched on something, and I don't know if you know this. Do you know the connection between Back to the Future and Indiana Jones?
0: Uh, I mean, I'm going to say there's a Spielberg connection, but uh, not is. really.
1: Okay, you've literally just mentioned it. So, okay. in the original script for this, um, and I think it was, it because was, obviously, Martin McFly is played by Michael J. Fox. He was originally played by somebody else. Mm. Uh, it I'm was, gonna... um, no,
0: they wanted Fox at first. They wanted but Fox, he, but he, yeah.
1: he, he had a sitcom, didn't he? That he couldn't get was, out of it. It
0: was Family Ties, and they ended That's up right. getting, oh, what's his name? He was in Memphis Bell. Eric Stoltz? Eric Stoltz, yep. yeah. Yeah.
1: So when he auditioned, so Eric Stoltz actually sort of did the, a series of tweets or Facebook posts from it recently, and he said that the, the script he auditioned with was very, very different to the production script that was finally used. Mm-hmm. And the DeLorean came in a lot later as a design element and all this other stuff, and changed the story. Originally, it was a fridge, and the fridge, uh, and originally, so and originally, they didn't live in uh, California; they lived in Arizona or Nevada, and. Do you know how that fridge traveled through time?
0: Wasn't it an atomic explosion? It I was an think? atomic
1: explosion. So basically <laughs> it was atomic powered. And when it goes back to 1955, they have to take it back out to the desert for the nuclear weapon to be dropped on it. It's not a lightning bolt. It's a nuclear bomb to be dropped on the fridge uh, to send Marty back through time. And it was obviously scrapped. And, um, you know, they went with the DeLorean idea. But this idea clearly stuck with Spielberg because in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, we get Indiana Jones being blasted in a fridge by a nuclear weapon.
0: Uh, see, see, I'll be honest with you. I've erased all knowledge of that. I've ever seen that. I don't acknowledge it as a movie. For me, Indiana yeah. Jones is a trilogy. I agree. It's one of
1: those great trilogies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, but that's the, yeah. So they did go with the Delorean, and I'm so glad they did because I think the Delorean is ace. And um, if they had gone with the fridge, I don't think we'd have the trilogy that we have now. The, the sort of the. Uh, Um, the DeLorean facilitates the trilogy, really, doesn't it? It gives gives them that level of mobility.
0: Absolutely. Um, uh,
1: And I I also like the fact that Doc Brown, like you say, he's obviously got this sort of 17-year-old friend, but clearly sort of dabbling in terrorism as well.
0: (laughs) Well, again, you know, for the first one, and I think the scripting, well, it's a little bit of a victim of its own success, The Mm. first one, I like, you mentioned Bob Gale. He he obviously came up with the original concept, didn't he? He was just wondering Mm. about if I went back and met my dad and went to school with my dad, kind of what Mm. would that be like? I I like, you know, very simple ideas like that that grow into something. I think with Highlander, you know, you had some kid, you know, on a school trip in in, uh, Scotland and was just wondering, oh, I wonder if, you know, the people who were wearing these knight suits, you know, uh, the knight's armor... I wonder if they were walking around today, what would they think and how would they be? So really, really simple concept, but the writing for this first one is so tight. And Mm. even in the, that opening scene with all the clocks, you see a TV playing to no one and they talk about the, the plutonium uh, being, being stolen. stolen, Yeah. And there is nothing wasted in this first one.
1: No, not at all. well, I think that thing of sort of like um, you know nuggets of information being dropped it happens throughout the trilogy, especially the first two, and you know of sort of where they 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 basically tell you where the story is going to go if you're willing to you know to look for it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, And I do love this sort of thing when the Libyans get you know the the Libyans um, attack because it's crazy. They're sort of attacking like a, a, a. a Volkswagen camper van. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: they, they've got no lights on and then they no. turn the lights on. I, I, I always, it takes me out of it a bit. I'm like, why didn't
1: you have the lights on?
0: I, it doesn't make sense to me.
1: No, um, but they have the, there's a great sort of um, chase around the parking lot and, you know, and it's sort of the line sort of like, you know, Libyan, see if you can do 90. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Marty's stuck in the DeLorean and we've seen that Doc's been shot as well. Um and that's it. Pff, off he goes and he sort of fires through and it's, a, it's again, that sort of the way it travels through time looks ace, you know, you sort of get the flashes and the when it disappears just the two sort of channels of flame where the tires were. Um,
0: you, you know the one bit that I wish they would fix is when they're doing the test run with yeah. Einstein. Yeah. you've mentioned the two flames and when Marty goes back into the past, it looks great. Mm. But but when they do Einstein and they kind of you get the flames underneath the feet of Marty and Doc, yeah, oh, it looks terrible. I don't yeah, know if it, it was a c- late addition, but oh, I just wish they'd fix that.
1: It clearly looks like it, yeah. Especially uh, Marty, it looks like he's stood in the flames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just yeah. looks
0: so fake, doesn't it, and two dimensional.
1: Yeah. yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a great image. Um, and so, like I say, maybe get George Lucas on it and just tidy it up a bit, maybe.
0: Oh Christ! I have fucking <laughs> camel poop and. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but like once once this film sort of like, and this is the one thing I like about this franchise is it sort of like it, it keeps taking left turns. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know the moment it goes back to, 1955, um, like again, it's like so, you know you you've had almost this sort of like little mini action set piece in the first act and then the tone is just going to slow right down again but not in a bad way but like it just slows right back down to this thing of like okay here's this thing of this 1980s kid going back 30 years to 1955 um and i, I just like this thing of like you know him sort of doing all the bits and pieces to, to establish um where he is when he is and it shows you things and this is again that like you've had you you as you say sort of the one of the things we've really sort of not mentioned is, um, oh, Hill Valley, mm-hmm. the town. So you've already been introduced to the town and, you know, the town square and save the clock tower. And again, like you say, nothing's oh, wasted. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. already saying save the clock tower. Cause it was struck 30 years ago. and hasn't worked since they're going to tear it down and stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, when you go back, it's that set and that town set. And again, it just looks ace. Um, uh, another little tidbit, of course, it's the hill valley is also uh, the same set that was used for Gremlins. So,
0: oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, same town centre. So that, oh, that that is yeah, um, yeah a shot at different angles and stuff. But yeah, that's a, that's also Gremlins. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts, then, sir, so when it gets back to 1955?
0: I'll be honest with you, Scott. When it goes back to 1955, all of my brain cells are focused on Leah Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, now what I will say is this is a... I guess we think of Back to the Future, this first one, as this wholesome uh, family movie, <laughs> and I, I've watched it with my kids as well. And it, it does get mm. confusing, especially when we get to the second one, and then they go, they go to the future, which is 2015. And I'm watching it with my son, and 2015 is also <laughs> in the past. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it, it gets a bit confusing for for the kids, mm. and what we don't have flying hoverboards. I know, son. I know. It annoys yeah. me feel, as well. We feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, when he, he... Oh, I guess before we meet Leah Thompson, getting back to the slight wrongness, it's not quite the family wholesome movie. I mean, George McFly is a fucking dirty pervert, isn't he? Just yeah. trying to perv on.
1: A Peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. But, but again, I don't know if in the 80s, a Peeping Tom was like considered just, oh, you... Cheeky old scamp, you, you know, and, and and like Biff, oh, he's a bit rapey. That Biff one, you got to watch him, you know. <laughs> this,
1: this, this is what I find, like, say this this film parts of it age really well. And I think sort of, you know, some of the the actors in it are fantastic, but like, yeah, it's sexual politics really don't age well, Um and they never say that it's good. I mean, that's the thing. Like, but George McFly is a peeping tom. He's not even subtle. Like, he's on the bow of a tree <laughs> over a road he thinks that no one can see him (laughs) it's it's really bizarre um yeah but you know um we'll get to biff in a bit because um i i realize having watched this trilogy like quite in quite quick succession for this uh thomas f wilson who plays biff is actually the mvp of this trilogy more so than anybody else i think um he he does the most, and I think he is absolutely brilliant in all the films. But so, um, sorry, what uh, I'm, I'm trying
0: to you've lost me there with that acronym.
1: What was that MVP? Most Valued Player.
0: Oh right, okay, there we go. <laughs>
1: He's, yeah, I mean, he plays in this. He's Biff. Yeah, um, young and old, and we'll get to the old age makeup in a bit, but. He plays young Biff and old Biff, and then like he plays in the two, he plays really old Biff, young Biff, yeah, and middle-aged Biff, um, all in one film, and then you know in different timelines as well, so different types, and then in the third one he plays, and then he plays oh in the second one he plays Griff as well to his grandson. And then he plays Buford Tannen in the third one. Like, the guy is just excellent. Like, you forget that he does all that stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I agree that he is a brilliant baddie. Really brilliant, iconic. And, you Mm. know, to pull off all those different roles, you know, they're slightly different, Um, especially when he's acting, you know, old Biff, you know, talking to young Biff and stuff like that. I I think he's brilliant. Mm. i don't know though so i've seen the the eric stoltz footage so before Mm. they got michael j fox and he he basically had to film family ties when when they agreed you know it's just not working with eric stoltz we have to get michael j fox in michael j fox ended up filming family ties in the daytime and then in the nighttime filming this and you just think christ how many actors today would put themselves through that you know just for this particular part so If you watch that old footage, there is some magic missing. It's all Mm. the same set. It's all the same scenes. It's the same lines. And and Eric Saltz is a decent actor, but he just doesn't have that charm that Michael J. Fox has. So I think you're right. And, you know, as Biff in particular, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, Thomas F. Wilson is fantastic. But I think I can't... I, I think it's just a great all-round cast to be honest.
1: It is. No, I agree with that. You're right, I mean Michael J. Fox is the heart of the film. Like he he is, you know, he is obviously our you know, he's our point of view character, he's the heart of the film. And you're right, he has a real charm and a charisma that you sort of um you know, you want to follow. I mean mm-hmm. the what, what the point I'd say is that, you know, from the moment you meet him and, you know, he's obviously a known um entity within the school because you've got uh, Strickland Mr. Strickland, <laughs> who is another great reoccurring character in this whole series, yeah, um, you know, who says like you know you're a slacker, just like your dad was a, you know, your father was a slacker, and you're a slacker, and you're never going to amount to anything. Um, and you, you get this feeling like he's just a typical teenager, you know, sort of like he's a bit cheeky, he's a bit cool, he's sort of like you know he's um, he seems a bit like you know he's almost like a, a almost a little bit Ferris Bueller esque, but not quite as um, much of a you know, slacker. <laughs> yeah he's not he's not as sociopathic as ferris bueller is really <laughs> um i
0: still think there's a whole fight club thing going on there with ferris bueller but yeah. that, that's a discussion for another day
1: <laughs> um but you're right and he does he definitely has a magic and a charm especially with like you know with like christopher lloyd and also with crispin glover I yeah again he he, he has a really good um chemistry with all the cast um but yeah, like I say, we were saying like the, the way that say the cast is good, but the way they also get introduced, um, you know, you were saying like this, this you consider this a wholesome uh, family film, um, but it has got like some real cheeky moments in it. That you like say, you sort of you think back and you go, oof, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure you could have seen this the age I saw it at. Um,
0: <laughs> I don't think they'd make it like that today. I mean, we've said about George McFly, but Christ, his mum. Uh, you know, Leah Lea Thompson. She is horny. She's yeah. like, he can yeah. stay in my room. You know, and I think initially when he wakes up, he's got no pants on, has he, You know, so, yeah. who knows? Who knows what was in that deleted scene?
1: Yeah, that's it. And I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she knows what like, it's called. Calvin Klein, because
0: they were um, on, on his <laughs> on his tighty
1: whities. Yeah. Tiny yeah. <laughs> so you do think, like, well, how far did she look? Yeah, yeah. Um... Again, though, I like the fact that there's some uh, jokes at this point where, uh, you know, they, they you, you meet his, uh, the generation before, you know, so his uncle that's in jail is sort of like, you know, always in the in the the, ch- the kid pen. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of those sorts of jokes. And I like the fact he wears, like, he's wearing like a puffer, like a gilet jacket, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And um, they all just assume he's a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like a life jacket. And that, that's a good joke that keeps coming up. So, um yeah, it's it's I I not know this introduction of the fifties is, is quite cool. I enjoy it. I enjoy this sort of um um rolling out of sort of information. Like, you know, cause a lot of it's just told you and a lot of it's there. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: But one of my favourite ones is um his introduction to fifty-five Doc Brown. <laughs> um and I'm never entirely sure how old Doc Brown's supposed to be. I've always taken it maybe he's supposed to be in his 60s in 85 and so he's in his sort of 30s in 55 i think that's what I, I make that assumption mm-hmm. um but this whole introduction um you know where he pulls him in and he's got that the big sort of thing on his head um and he's, he's trying to do sort of <laughs> mind reading it again like there's an energy to, to christopher lloyd um that, that, that again sort of i don't know if you've ever seen films like who framed roger rabbit and yeah um, you know, he, he just has a certain like manic energy uh, in those, but it, he perfects it, I think, in this um, as as Doc Brown, and especially sort of like the A55 Doc Brown. Yeah. 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think he's one of those
0: actors, isn't he, that for the dummy runs, I can't remember what they call them, but, you know, for the walkthroughs, the practices and what have you, he'll give like 60% of his performance. Mm. But when it's actually time to shoot, he, you know, just leaps into action and, and into life. And so, you know, I, th- I think I'm sure I've heard that, you know, they basically pretended the dummy runs are, are like the real thing just to get him to you know actually really put his ramble. all into it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but absolutely iconic. And I- I'm the same as you. I was a bit confused because you know, young Doc Brown doesn't. he never really looked that different to old Doc Brown to me. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. but again, they take the Mickey out of that in the second film, don't they? They sort of because um, he says when he comes back from twenty fifteen, he's like, oh, I he's had got a rejuvenation. Face lift, yeah, in. yeah, and he takes off <laughs> a like a fake face and looks no different. And even Marty's like, right, all right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: also, he you know they haven't invented Grecian two thousand. That's just all his hair out. Yeah.
1: But he looks like the quintessential mad scientist, doesn't he? Like, you know, you're going to draw like a crazy doctor, like a professor. Like, that's what you draw. He, he looks just like that. Um, one of the things, actually, that, in fact, I've just thought of it in my head because it was part of something I remember from a while ago. Is we talked about the relationship between Marty and Doc. And I can't even remember if this is actually in the IDW version. Having met him in 1955 you know, uh, you know, he comes back and he meets Doc sort for Doc it's the first time and then he has to go through and Doc obviously knows that time travel exists. Almost like in a weird sort of like Terminator sort of, you know, predeterminist kind of thing. I I have a feeling that Doc seeks out Marty knowing that all this is supposed to take place. Uh. Um, but I can't remember. I'm going to have to find that out. I'll have to come back to the sort of moment I can edit in for that just to sort of confirm that.
0: So it's um, going to be like the first time. How did John Connor come to be if... uh you know, you didn't get Michael Bean sent back fr- from the future.
1: That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole different discussion. I've <laughs> gone for a long time on that one. Um, but yeah, no, I love the way they interact again because he sort of um, the way he convinces him. He show he talks about the fl- the flux capacitor, which is sort of like the magic wand MacGuffin of this series. Sort of like it's the thing that makes time travel possible. How? Don't ask. It just does. <laughs> you know
0: what? This is Scott. This is. And thank God there are no prequels to Back to the Future. Yeah. This is the force for me. It's like yes. the force is, you know, what penetrates us, binds us, you know. It, it, mm. It's basically it's magic. The flux capacitor, it, it's the magic thing that, that makes time travel possible. That's it. It's all I need to know. I don't need to know that Medichlorians, you know, <laughs> yeah. power this flux capacitor or anything. <laughs> That's the start and end of it. I'm good. Let's move on.
1: yeah exactly it is it's just sort of like it looks and again it's one of those things it's a really simple design it's got a you know the flux capacitor it's got sort of like a slightly daft name and you just sort of accept it and you know go on and and that's why you sort of have um again like doc's reaction to it when it takes 1.21 gigawatts or gigawatts to power it um you know, it, it sort of it becomes this sort of the again the MacGuffin, doesn't it? That's the thing you've got to power to get back through time.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, but of course, you've got the the whole thing. I mean, it Doc talks a lot, doesn't he? About we can't mess with the space time continuum. Mm. But when it's convenient, he's quite happy to do it. Then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I mean, because. You know, Marty had basically, he was the one who got knocked over. It should have been George McFly. Mm. You end up with this side story. So not only is he trying to get back to the future, but he's trying to make sure Lorraine and, and George fall in love as well. And I do like that interaction. And I guess this is what, you know, the original idea of it was, you know, when um, old Bob Gale was, was sitting down to write it, was that interaction between Marty and his dad.
1: Yeah, and it it does. It works out well because you know again, like you know, Marty has to go back to school in the fifties, and and you you. I like the fact that you find out that like his dad was a a real nerd, like you know. I mean you've you've in you've been introduced to sort of like eighties or sort of like you know his thirties or late forties at this point, I suppose. Um, um, George McFly, bit of a loser, uh, but you find that like he's a proper nerd, uh, fifties nerd as well, and a real wimp, um. And uh, yeah, it, it, again, Crispin Glover is one of those unusual actors that you sort of never really sure what you're going to get from him. Yeah, um, but um, he's really good as as, as George McFly. Uh, but again, like, but there's a real spark between Michael J. Fox and Crispin Glover. They they do work well together. Um, but again, like, when you actually have like Crispin Glover sort of, or George McFly trying to sort of do. Was it in the diner where he sort of tries to do uh, <laughs> to woo, yeah, uh, uh, Leah Thompson's character? Like you know, and it, it goes sort of badly wrong. Um, it's it's he's he's really sort of almost like sweet and sincere the way he does it. Um, yeah, you know, it's slightly creepy, but still sort of like sincere. <laughs> he,
0: um, he's an all right peeping tom, any.
1: That's the thing. Like, you can't. <laughs> I'm trying to sort of get past that. Like he's clearly a perv. But he seems like a genuinely sort of like nice guy. But you're trying to get they don't sort of try to address that again, did they? They're like, "Oh, just forget about that bit. It Doesn't matter."
0: He's like a slightly more handsome Roy Cropper, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all a bit dodgy. Um, but I think the only way they make they make George like more appealing is this is where you get introduced to Biff. Yeah, um, and it's almost like yeah, George is a perv, but at least he's not like say like a rapey bully like Biff is um uh, and and this is one of the weird things as well because Biff comes with a crew um and one of the things to point out is Billy Zane is part yeah. of his crew as well uh, and Billy Zane stays part of his crew throughout sort of like the second film as well which is again a really cool sort of touch that they keep up um but yeah what what are your thoughts on this whole sort of interaction then with, with biff like the introduction of, of biff and, and in the diner
0: I love it. It is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, uh, I, I've actually got goosebumps just thinking about it now. You know, when, uh, well, there's a couple of things to point out. The size difference, you get that real yeah. kind of rocky fall moment, don't you, with Ivan Drago, when Biff actually stands up to reveal his full height and he's sort of looking down <laughs> at Marty and you can yeah. see in Michael J. Fox's <laughs> eyes, it's like, Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) But he does the old uh, trick, which kind of uh, puts him in good stead for the whole trilogy, really, which is, look over there, and uh, you (laughs) kind of legs it. And then you get that thing where he kind of uh, gets the old skateboard. You know, he nicks it off a kid, doesn't he, and rips off the top bit. And Mm. you end up with this chase. I mean, Biff not only being a bit rapey, but, you know... that could have gone – is he trying to kill Marty at that point? I mean, it, it sort of seemed like it, didn't
1: it? I was going to say, if – if uh, yeah, well, he, he starts trying to ram him on yeah. the back of the, the truck, doesn't he? And like you say, if it had gone wrong, like I'm pretty sure like Marty wouldn't have been walking away from it. So, yeah, yeah no, Biff to me is um, – I, I don't know if you're like a Stephen King fan or if you've ever watched like It.
0: The um, mm-hmm. The original. Biff,
1: yeah, so Stephen King hates greasers. Um, never entirely sure why he just does, but they always have this sort of thing of like whenever he puts greasers into his sort of his stories, like they're always like psychopaths, like inexplicably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing in It. There's a character called Harry Bowers in In It that is just a nutcase, and that's sort of what Biff is. It's sort of like there's no explanation for it. He's just clearly like he's not just a bully, like. You know, he's clearly a psychopath.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and um you know, he's obviously bigger than everyone and this other stuff, but like there's more to it than that. There's clearly some damage there. But yeah, I don't think he's bothered by anybody and if he accidentally killed someone, I don't think he would be too bothered.
0: <laughs> no, I I don't think so at all. And uh, you know, Bob Gale, I, I don't think I think you can draw more parallels with the second one. But he claimed mm. the whole Biff character was based on Donald Trump.
1: Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It does show more in the second one. Yeah. Um. We'll get to that very soon um because even but even with like with biff like you say he, when you get to the climax of the film it's the sort of the under the sea dance um like he he is clearly gonna rape uh, lorraine, yeah, like you know and he has got no compunctions about that like thats like he's there for that um and he's it's sort of it, it, there's a, there's a weirdness in the film where even like you know um George is almost willing to walk away. And it's not so much like, oh, I've been beaten to it. It's almost like a sort of there's almost like an inevitability to it for him. Mm. That it's sort of like, nah, it's almost like this is what happens in in the fifties. It's like it's so weird uh to, to watch it now to think like this is, you know. You know, Wrong. Biff isn't just yeah. Like Biff <laughs> isn't just a sort of a bit of a baddie. Like Biff is like a real danger. Like he he should be in some sort of institution. Yeah. Um, following some of this.
0: But do you not know, think as well? You know, it's like well, uh, I, I'm sure this wasn't totally like this in the 50s. And you know, unfortunately, I'm sure bad things did happen. And and mm. you know, But the fact that we all watched it in the 80s and we thought again, you know, ah, oh, Biff, he's a bit of a school bully. No, this yes. is this is a little bit more than that, you know, because he's saying to his mates, isn't he? This ain't no peep show. So it, everyone's just complicit. Everyone's just like turning a blind eye. She's literally screaming for help <laughs> in the yeah. car, and I, so I mustn't. Have, I don't think I watched this for about ten years or something. And it was one of mm. those when I saw uh, the trilogy come out on Blu-ray. I was like, oh, I've got to buy that. But then it, it just sat on my shelf for ages and didn't watch it. And then I watched it, having not you know, watched it for about 10 years. And I was like, it got to this scene. And I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of, I kind of remember it, but I don't remember having the same reaction to it as well. It was just, again, it's just, um, I don't think you'd have that in a family movie today, would you?
1: No, no. Well, I think the thing is, as sort of like, there were certain things I will concede. Um, that there are certain films in the 80s that have scenes uh, that, you know, are either done off the cuff or they're sort of like, you know, a little bit, they're like a small scene that in the 80s would have gone like, meh, but now you look back on it and you're like, no, that's that's really problematic. I mean, my favourite film of all time, there's a scene in it in which a, a certain Dr. Venkman appears to have um 300 CCs
0: syring- and chlorazine.
1: Yeah, he basically appears to have a syringe full of a date rape drug in his yeah. on his person. Um I will defend that to everything. If you read the novelisation, if you read the novelization, there's an explanation for it. But again, it's it's not in the film. What about um, trying
0: to rig his uh, psychological test, so the, the young. Yeah, hot there's no explicit. No expe- <laughs> I
1: will admit, that's even worse in the novelization.
0: Oh, really? That,
1: yeah, it, it, it's blatant in the novelization as to what he intends to do uh, to this co ed. So it's a little bit, yeah, you're like, oh, no, Mr. Venkman, you are, or Dr. Venkman, you are a real problem character. Um, And I think the thing is that if you watch, even like Goonies, like there are certain things in Goonies that you're a bit like, um, you know, it, it doesn't quite play for, for a modern audience. Um, and so, the, the, you know, when you watch this, you think, oh, okay, in the 80s, this was probably played and people went, yeah, he's a baddie. But now you watch it and you're like, no, some of these characters are really, um, you know, really problematic. Even like Mr. Strickland, like his attitude as a teacher, like he basically seems to hate all students, <laughs> Yeah, has been a teacher for 30-plus years.
0: Yeah, see, I went to school in the 80s. I knew a few teachers like that, to be honest. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't think he's that unbelievable. Hates his job, just hates kids.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but he's there That's for the pension. <laughs> yeah. But can, um, can can I mention, Scott, as well? So hmm. even before we get to Rapey Biff there, how close does Marty come to nailing his mum?
1: Well, let's let's turn that around. How how close does, does his mum get to nailing Marty? I think is, but but his
0: his mum doesn't know that it's his son. No, he, he knows. He's the one with the knowledge. Yeah, and that's you can true. tell in his face. He's kind of looking. She's got a low cut dress, and he's like, oh, you can t- tell he's having this real internal battle with
1: himself (laughs) he's
0: genuinely considering it it should not be a thing it should
1: yeah yeah, there is a moment it's funny because he's shocked that she smokes he's shocked that she drinks and then she comes on to him and like you say there is there does appear to be that flash in his eye where he's a bit like you say it's a dilemma for a second yeah and you're like yeah it shouldn't it should never be a dilemma it's weird (laughs) um um yeah,
0: maybe that was yeah. how the first uh, uh, John Connor was made.
1: Yes, Some yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Really uncomfortableness. Because um, the thing is, with that, that having happened, because that happens in in his you know sphere of knowledge, as you say, he has knowledge of that. Mm-hmm. When he goes back to 1985, like I, he, I, I don't. If I was him, I'd have like trouble like looking my mum in the face. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, no, no, Mum. I know that you you were a randy little tart <laughs> when you were a teenager, like. But um... actually,
0: I mean, you're a parent, Scott. Do you not think? Mm. I, I mean that that kind of is. I, I think our kids have no idea that we were kids as well. Yeah, you know, and I know it's definitely true of mine because the way they try and bullshit me sometimes, I'm like, you know, come on. I was a kid as well, you know. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 and they haven't, they haven't even got to the awkward teenager years just yeah. yet. So, got all that to look forward to. But yeah, so I don't think knowing that your mum was was uh, uh, you know a bit horny and you know a yeah. bit out there because at, at the beginning of the movie she's really dour, isn't she? She's run down that's fucking the life of a parent, <laughs> you know? Yeah,
1: so, uh, I, I remember
0: my mum saying, you'll understand when you, when you have kids. I'm like, yeah, whatever, mum, mum, we're always going to be cool. And then you end up being the fucking authoritarian, <laughs> <right>. yeah.
1: So, <laughs> yeah.
0: But that's yeah, I, I think that the weirdest thing though is that everyone seems to have collective amnesia that Marty ever existed when he goes back to the future.
1: Well, th- yeah, this is one of the things of of this thing. So when he does go back, at no point, like, because um, cl- even that the clothes that he is wearing, you know, when he goes back and he obviously knows Calvin Klein and all this other stuff, like, at no point does his mum or dad go, you, you look, in fact, his dad should be looking at him and going, You look incredibly like a kid I used to know in the 50s. Lorraine, can, can we have a conversation? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> Lorraine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where were you 17 years ago? Um, and he's
0: he's got the same name as this lad who was trying to set me up with you. What's going on there? Yeah,
1: it it, it does. This. I mean, even like because Biff, like you know, as older older Biff in the in the eighties, like they have some quite up close and personal, sort of like yeah, you know, quite aggressive uh, interactions. And at no point, there's, there's middle-aged bis people going like, you, you're looking really familiar to <laughs> yeah. someone
0: but I used to know. Even the mum and dad, you know, so George and Lorraine, they're like, oh, you know. It's, so when you get the, the dweeb. Biff, you know, he's beaten down, waxing the car and whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, Biff, if it wasn't for him, you know, we'd have never got together. You know that time he nearly raped you? Um, <laughs> yeah, he helped us get together there. But they don't remember Marty at all. It's 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 There's no crazy. acknowledgement of it at all. It, um, it's, it's pretty this way, Scott, right? So so 30 years ago from now would be 1990 for us right now. Yeah. So if basically someone who was a dead ringer for like a mid-twenties Paul Gascoigne walked in yeah. it's not as if you've forgotten him, is it? You'd be like, fucking yeah. hell, how, how's that happened? You you look like, you know, 1990 Paul Gascoigne. So, yeah.
1: yeah. It is a bit of a hole. We say how sort of tight the plot is, but there's definitely a couple of little holes like that. That's true. Um, but you get to the climax, like he does, the good thing is, like, he's obviously pumped, you know, he's, he's given George all this, all this, you know, um, education. He sort of pumped him up. And I do love the bit, when George stands up to, to Biff, and, yeah. you know, and you say you got about goosebumps from the, the bit with the, the skateboard and stuff. And that is great. There's a moment there this though, when Biff sort of, sorry, when and George turns around and says, Hey, you get your hat, damn hands off, you know, sort of, and Biff stands up to him and he sort of twists his arm around and, and George just loses it and punches him out. Yeah. And it's just like, it is so satisfying because of everything you've gone through with these characters, I'm like it's it's a really satisfying moment, um, and it's it's yeah, I, I genuinely like really. I, I don't know, it's just something about like that moment in that film. It's just so sort of like yes, you know, yeah. Every time I see it, um, oh, it's
0: it's great, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, the baddie of the piece, so Biff, he gets his comeuppance. You know, he gets properly knocked out. I, mm. I can't let go from the fact that it's physically impossible. Kind of where the way he's got. George's arm twisted there. He'd have to be Mr. Fantastic or something to be able to get a swing in. But I can get yeah. past that. It is a brilliant moment where, when he just knocks him out. And, you know, from future Biff, it appears that was a life-changing moment for him.
1: Well, uh, yeah, again, it's one of those things. And they always say that, you know, the moment you stand up to a bully, it sort of, um, you know, that's what sort of breaks him. And I think it, it, you get the moment, this is the moment the myth of Biff Tannen is broken. You know, it, it, you can imagine this for the whole school. Is all, all of a sudden this moment of this guy who's been this sort of like bullying overlord for years mm-hmm. was taken out by George McFly. <laughs> you know, once that gets round, like the, the the myth, you know, this sort of like aura that would have been around Biff Tanner would just disappear, wouldn't it? Everyone would be like, oh, pff, what a what a what a prize! Sort of, got taken out by George McFly. Um, I can imagine it would have, especially as a teenager, would have some sort of like psychological damage to you. So, um... apart
0: from the fact that he's built like a brick shit house, and in the second yeah. movie we see after he wakes up, you know, he he goes chasing after Marty, doesn't he? So, I, I I think it's it's one of those it is one of those myths. You know, if you stand up to a bully. They don't yeah. like it, and they'll leave you alone. And I'll never forget, my my uncle, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, but I remember when I was um, probably late teens. And, uh, you know, a- around that time, you know, one of the adages was, the bigger they are, the harder they fall.
1: Yeah. And he
0: said, David, the bigger they are, the harder they hit you. Yeah. <laughs> and he was bloody right. So, But mm. especially around the 80s, you had all these little... Uh, Sign of kind of Disneyfied adages, don't you? You know these, these fairy tales.
1: Oh, that that's exactly what this is, isn't it? It's the sort of the underdog gets the girl. That's the sort yeah. of yeah. You know, it's, it's the revenge of the nerds kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but, but you're right because we've already seen that Biff is willing to try and run someone over to teach him a lesson. So in reality, he would have got up. Walked into the end of the sea dance, dragged George McFly into the car park, and beaten the crap out.
0: of him. <laughs> Stuck a knife in him, probably.
1: Yeah, probably, like you know, we know that this this that that, that would not have been the end of it, um, but it is really satisfying, and it also leads then to um, the the sort of the end is uh, because one of the the band uh, has injured their hand. Um, they have to play. They have to play a certain song, or they have to play certain music to. So that george and, and lorraine can dance and they can kiss and then that can start the relationship and that sort of thing and um so marty takes to the stage to play guitar which then goes right back to the beginning obviously because we've seen that he can you know he plays guitar he wants to be in battle of the bands and all that sort of stuff so well, again all this stuff sort of paying off um and i, I love this this overexcited rendition of johnny be good <laughs> at the end
0: yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And and I seem to remember in and around this time in the '80s, Johnny Be Good just seemed to have a renaissance. It seemed to be in so many movies that I watched. Um, but yeah, he's he's pretty good. But it always jars with me a little bit that that's not Michael J. Fox singing. You know, it's it's kind of a bit weird. And then you've got the guy who's on the phone to Chuck Berry. Yeah. You know. So again, we get this like, well, where did Johnny Be Good come from originally? Did Marty always go back? Is are we in a kind of loop
1: kind of thing here? Or, or well, yeah, what? it's weird, isn't it? Because this, this is the thing. we'll I will mention. I mean, the one thing to mention is like you said. You know, you you, you may not be ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. And I'm thinking. Well, actually. Uh, Johnny B. Good was released in the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> in fact, it was released three years later. So uh, it probably would be for them. It's just that the wild guitar, I suppose, which should have been like Hendrix and, and everybody yeah, else yeah. after that, it was in the sixties. Um, yeah, no, it, it's just the, the time travel in this is. Um, We're going to get too deep into this, with you, but time travel in this sort of can't seem to make its mind up. It's either deterministic or it's changeable. Um, and for the most part, the, the main story is telling you that it's changeable because um, you literally have two timelines. You know, you're introduced to a timeline in the future, um, <clears throat> sorry, in, the, in you know in eighty five where George and, and Lorraine have had a um, a hard thirty years. They're worn down. George isn't, is still the nerd, and she probably regrets it. They've got th- three kids, who are all a bit sort of like slackers, and the flies are a bit of a disappointment and it's through these events that he goes back to and he alters history to produce a, a new and better future and to me so that's that's a non-deterministic future that's that's mm-hmm. that's you know the ability to change time however as you say they keep throwing in these deterministic things where well that must have always happened in order for this other thing to happen so like you say chuck berry being introduced to this kind of music well if he didn't hear it on the stage, you know, if he, his mate didn't introduce it to him because Marty playing, like, how did he hear it? Like, you know, and <laughs> yeah, uh, Mayor Goldie Wilson, you know, that's another good Oh one. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, it, who, who planted the idea in his head of becoming mayor in the first place? If it's Marty did it this time round, we see it in this one, you know, but for him to become Mayor Goldie Wilson, but who did it the first time? How did that happen the first time round? Well, you know, it's it's things like that. that uh, That's a deterministic future. that That's that's always going to have happened. That always did happen, always will happen, you know, will always happen. But all the other stuff doesn't. So it, it plays with time travel a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, and I think the, the thing is with the Chuck Berry thing, I think I'm guessing that came in quite late into the script, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was one of those, it's just a little gag, isn't it? It's a bit play around. Yeah. They don't think that, you know... 30 odd 35 years later you're going to have a couple of nerds and well it's not just us is it you know i'm sure there's lots and lots of people agonizing about the the rules of time travel it's like look fuck off nerds we just wanted to make a funny line you know that was it um but it's it's the fact that what jars with me more than the inconsistency with time travel is that when the guy's on the phone to chuck berry he's like hey it's your cousin marvin Marvin Berry. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like you shouldn't have to qualify what your surname is. <laughs> if you're saying it's your cousin, yeah. they should know. <laughs> your first name should be enough. I'm, I'm sure. So yeah, uh, yeah. That that bugs me a bit, but I, I try and get over it, but I can't. <laughs> yeah.
1: I do know what you mean. So it makes me chuckle with the way he says it as well. So yeah, um, but it is. It's a good rendition, and it, you know, I, I do think it's good fun. Um, but you know it takes us this takes us to the sort of like the grand finale sort of um the, the whole thing has been sort of you know you, like you say you've had this thing of going back and seeing your dad at school sort of thing um but what we are introduced to is this sort of this the third act, the finale is the clock tower is going to be struck by a lightning and again it was all there since the the flyer at the start of the film sort of like you know um you know Chekhov's leaflet if you will um save the clock tower, it's struck by lightning at this time on this date. I like date. that, check-ups leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you get this third act. I love this third act. This this whole finale is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, the music and the tension and like, you know, it's going to be fine. I know he's going to get home. <laughs> I, 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 every time I watch it, I know it's happened. But, you know, the moment the tree comes down and pulls the, the, the plug out and, and Doc has to climb the clock tower, like, oh, it's ace. Am I overselling it, or what
0: do you think? No, I think, I mean, you you mentioned Alan Silvestri before. I mean, the the iconic music, you know, that you get. But the the whole scoring throughout it, I think, is brilliant. And the way they build up the stakes. Mm. And, And actually, I like, you know, throughout the trilogy, even though the time travel's kind of inconsistent, I like how they keep it fairly simple you yeah. know, and, and explain everything. Uh, obviously we've just, I've not watched Tenet yet, but I've, I've got absolutely no reason to, cause everyone, everyone I speak to, uh, says basically they didn't understand it. So, you know, whereas this is nice and simple, easily digestible, you know what the stakes are. You've got that sense that time is running out, you know, that, mm. that if they don't. If the dock doesn't get the uh it, it let or the cables hooked up just in time for the lightning, you know they, they'll miss that window of opportunity, and Marty will be stuck in the past. You know, it, it just feels um, tense, and like you say, even though I've watched it a hundred times probably now, you know, you just get that sense, and I think a lot of it does does owe to the music.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, the the in this is good. is good. It is so good that sort of. I'm not. Good, I've got it playing in my ahead, like right now.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> it's hard um, not to, isn't it? You go, duh, yeah. duh, duh. <laughs> yeah.
1: It is great. Um, it's one of those iconic '80s, like this John Williams, Alan Silvestri, and a, you know a couple of others that sort of like basically sort of scored my childhood. Um, but yeah, there's sort of the whole thing with, the, with the, the sort of. Um, the, the, you know, having to get the hook on that wire at the right time, and um, you know the, the storm sort coming in—it's it's just so well done, and it's so great. And again, like Christopher Lloyd's perfect in it. Um, and uh, it's just—it's yeah, it's just a really sat again, just a really satisfying payoff throughout, throughout the whole thing. Uh, and he gets to go home, and you know, it's sort of um, I, again, I like the fact that it's sort of you know everything sort of. Um, circles round and they, this is a film where like if they didn't have the last 30 seconds or the last minute of the film like it could just be a perfect one piece couldn't it like this is yeah like a really perfect sort of like finished film because you get obviously um he gets back and uh doc was shot by the libyans he gets back and sort of you find out that actually that marty had written him a letter in 55 but he'd ripped it up uh, but doc had actually re- read it and had worn a bulletproof vest um, you know, it's, it's now Lone Pines Mall. You, know, you now see that. So time has changed. Um, you're now in a different timeline. The docker survived, which tells me that he actually died. You did see him die at the start of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, because you are in a different timeline now. Um, so he's surviving. He goes home and then he wakes up in the morning and you find out like, his family are in a better place and that George has written a, a <laughs> sci fi novel and all this other stuff um Yeah, it's
0: such an '80s wrap-up, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it a lot of it is to do with how much stuff they have. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> they're minted, so therefore life is better.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a bit weird because it's it's that thing of like they clearly have gone for something wholesome, which is um you know they're more well adjusted, they've reached their dreams, they're happier as a couple. Oh yeah, and they're rich and got big cars. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely they couldn't help have that in the 80s because that's obviously was the thing um and and Biff is no longer because I think he was like a secondhand car salesman or something and they, they work in the same office don't they Biff and uh, and um George in the original timeline mm. um and in this one you've got um biff is a like, just he's waxing the car out the front he's got his, sort of his own business or whatever um but he's a bit of a dweeb now he's sort of like you know, he's obviously life sort of has been cruel to him sort of thing <laughs> Um. Yeah. So that and that's what that's almost almost where it ends, and if it if it ended there, it would be a one off, and you'd be done. But it's it sort of it's uh, they have a t- attack on now. I never knew. I don't still still don't know, and I think I've, I've probably been told and forgotten. But Doc turns up with the DeLorean, and he's wearing sort of like some crazy clothes, and he turns up, and and uh, Marty's with his girlfriend Jennifer, and he says, "We've got to go to the future." um you know there's, we've got a problem is it, is it what is it worse if we turn into dickheads and said, no, yeah. with your kids. <laughs> what, what is it
0: we turn into <laughs> assholes or something
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and he says no no you're fine it's, it's to do with your kids marty and it, it you know then the, the they have a mr fusion so he puts the rubbish in which i love is a great little touch <laughs> um and then he says where we're we going he says well you go back up doc we haven't got enough spaces up to 88 so we're going we don't need roads, which is a great line. And the yeah. Delorean takes off and flies off, and that's the end. And it it says to be continued, mm. um, but I don't know. A bit like how Star Wars was never was wasn't called a New Hope, and, and Part yep. Four stuff until later on. I'm never entirely sure was this always going to be a continuation? Like, was it or was it a case of like if it didn't do well, it would have obviously been stopped or. Did they have the remaining story? I I'm never sure.
0: I think at one point I knew the answer to this. I I don't think it did initially, um, and I'm trying to rapidly Google because I I think they added that in later. Um, mm. But I can't actually see it quickly. <laughs> I'm sure if you've asked me this before, um, I I don't. I think it was added in later. Yeah. I'm gonna put my. Uh, I think so too. I,
1: I I seem to think I seem to have this in my head. Of it was added in later, the to be continued. Yeah. Um. I think it was supposed to be a bit of a sort of like a, a, a tease, but nothing else. Um. And the, the, the to be continued came in later. Uh, I'm glad they did because it's a great. It's a great. You know, it leads on to a great story. But yeah. So that's Back to the Future one. Great Scott! I'm going to have to interrupt you just there. This has only been part one. We've covered Back to the Future. Dave and I have discussed the first part in this trilogy. But we will be back. We'll be at part two and we will be discussing part two and part three. I've really enjoyed going back into this series and checking out these films. They really are fantastic. But our real thoughts, what we're going to get into is which is the best film in the series? what do we think of the being a western environment for the third film is it, too, is it a bridge too far is it a gigawatt too far um, but we will be back so thank you for listening um, and check out the next part of the retrospective in the next episode coming in a couple of weeks but what do you think about the first Back to the Future film let us know is Thomas F. Wilson the real MVP of this film series or do you think there's somebody else um, do you think it's dated well do you think it uh, still stands up as an 80's classic uh, what is the relationship between doc and marty let us know what your thoughts are if you want to get in contact please reach out find us you can email me at 20 geek at gmail.com you can find me on all the social medias all under 20th century geeks so 20th century geek, so is at 20th century geek on twitter facebook instagram find us we are there come and talk to us um more importantly though If you like what it is we do, help us keep the lights on at 20th Century Towers. We have a Patreon page where I do a monthly podcast called 30 Minute Thoughts. Where I give my rambling thoughts on a specific genre topic uh, of that month. Chosen by my Patreons. Uh, uh, But if you don't want to be a Patreon, there are other things you can do. We have an Amazon gift list. Check it out. There's a whole lot of stuff on that Amazon gift list uh, that helps do the research. And we love secondhand books at 20th Century Towers. Uh, but again, that costs money. Doesn't matter. Check out your podcast catcher. If you like listening to this, just go on there and give us a review. Five stars is preferable. Five stars would be extremely great. Uh, you know, I'd be extremely grateful for a five star review. But if you don't think we're worth five stars, that's fine too. Let us know. Put a review on there. I'd love to hear it back. But in the meantime, have a great time. Uh, And uh, I shall see you on the next episode when we talk about Back to the Future Part 2 and 3. Thank you very much.